laugh at this next part. In a world of political correctness and cancel culture, two comedians have risen up to prove that with the right angle, anything can be funny. This is You Can't Laugh at That. Who writes these? Who huh? should have this person locked up and looked at? Live from Golden Ox Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, it's Steve Murs and David Horning on this week's episode. The Santa thing's like very real to me, so that's like definitely like me coping with that experience and like trying to, you know, process it. Like I think I'm a very slow emotional processor. Like I definitely takes takes me a long time for things to hit. Like if someone if you came and told me my dad died, it wouldn't hit me for like a week, I don't think. I think I joke immediately to deal with something. Um, to maybe assist with the non-coping and the blocking out. Welcome to You Can't Laugh at That, the podcast where we take topics that are taboo, hack, uh, considered crossing the line, whatever. Uh, We find ways to laugh at them, new ways, unique ways, and we explore other ways other comedians have made them laugh because no matter what, no matter how, Difficult it may be, there are always ways to laugh at any given topic. I am joined today, as always, as actually most of the time, uh, by Steve Merce. Mm-hmm. Hi, Steve. Hello. Steve, you've uh, you've taken the, the relaxed approach. Steve's laying down in his bed, I assume? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Is that where you've been all day? Is that... Just... Sleeping. Yeah, I haven't yeah. gotten out of bed yet. I'm just kidding. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm just hanging out. I think we're going to do an all-bed based podcast episode. Got it. The slumber <laughs> party. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom shows, man, you can do anything. I saw a Zoom show where they were doing topless comedy to, uh, to promote, I don't know, some cause. I forget what it was, but nudity. That's the cause. Yeah. Just more nudity. Uh, joining us today. And he is not nude, not yet, at least uh, from Detroit. You, you live in Detroit, right? Mm-hmm. Diego Atanasio. Hey. Uh, very funny comedian out of Detroit. Thanks for joining oh. us today. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> more, than, more than happy to, uh, you know, send you a bill. Yeah, just send it in, in the mail. I'll Venmo you. Venmo, uh, re- Venmo request. I've never done that. Have you ever requested money on Venmo? Just yeah. like pay me. Well, there's, a, there's two buttons. There's a pay and there's a request. I've never used the request. I, should. I haven't either. Drinking a little wine and sending out some two dollar, three dollar requests. Yeah, you told me you'd pay me for this show two years ago, and I still yeah. haven't been paid. Let me get that five dollars. Yeah, <laughs> collection go hard. Got Venmo. I think that's a little dicky lyric. That's funny. I actually had a comic approach me last week outside of a venue. He was like, "Did I pay you for last September?" Oh, I, well. like, I don't. I don't think so. And then I went back in my records, and no, he didn't. I might have to use that button. You should. You should send it once a week. <laughs> Use it and mean it. Yeah. Uh, t- t- today, we're not talking about Venmo, but we are talking about uh, another form of gift giving, sort of, I guess. We can, I don't know, I'm trying to segue that. I felt like Great. that was, a, was, was as best as I could do, uh, <laughs> at least considering the circumstances. Today, we're going to talk about finding out Santa Claus is not real. Really touchy subject. Really touchy. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Some people just finding out just now. Yeah. All right. Oh, man. <laughs> Some 12-year-olds right now. 11-year-olds. Yeah. 
they're scrolling through the episodes of this show. They're like school shootings, suicide, Santa isn't real. Yeah, you can't oh, title it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a mystery title. Uh, we'll just call it Christmas. Disappointed Christmas. Um, because we all have <laughs> an experience of finding out Santa isn't real. And uh, if you didn't, if you don't celebrate Christmas, then you've known from the start. So. Mm, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Lucky, lucky uh, Gentiles are the opposite. The, the opposite. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah. the Gentiles. Hebes. Yeah. <laughs> Like the old, like the old heaves eating their Chinese food and going to the movie theaters laughing at us. Yeah, mm. I went to a Catholic <laughs> school, so so everybody I grew up with uh, believed at some point. When did you find out, Diego? I think it was that- so late. I think it's like such an embarrassing age that I've blocked it from my memory. Yeah, well, we're <laughs> going to hear a little bit about it. I, I can't. I literally can't remember the age. I think it was like. Oh man, maybe fifth or sixth grade, something like that. Ah, that's not too bad. That's not that's not awful. Yeah. So yeah. Once you get to middle school, it really starts to get but like but fifth and sixth, I think I was like third grade. Okay. So and I was like early. I was like one of that's, the first kids. That's when I mm-hmm. found out about anal third grade. So <laughs> wow. That's you've got your priorities <laughs> in order, I think. I still well, don't know about anal. <laughs> Might not, but it might not exist. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it make believe, according to my girlfriend. Yeah, wife now, but <laughs> I got to rework all these jokes now. Right, Diego. Yeah, you got married. Oh uh, uh, yeah, congratulations. Oh yeah, thank you. Yeah, congrats. And instead of a honeymoon, he decided to do this this episode of the podcast. He was like, "Wait, honey, uh, <laughs> what a getaway! <laughs> we we got to wait." Well, we lived together, and you know, because of Corona we couldn't really go on a trip afterwards. So it, uh, it's really, it really feels regular. It really is making it not special at all. Do you just so. stay in a different part of the house? Yeah. I just try to stay away from her. And uh. <laughs> every once in a while at nine o'clock every night, I say, Oh, we're still married. Huh? You know, <laughs> you're very romantic. I do what I can. <laughs> uh, speaking of doing what we can, uh, we are going to play a clip of Diego's stand up. Uh, f- about the uh, today's the t- the topic at hand, uh, Diego. If you want to introduce the clip, and then uh, we'll get right into it. Uh, so this is a part of a larger set that I did at Mark or er, the Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Uh, now defunct, uh, closed uh, mm. temporarily. Uh, and I'm talking about. Uh, raising kids and talking about if one day I'm going to tell my kids about Santa and kind of the story, how I found out and uh, the implications thereafter. All right. <laughs> oh, and I weigh more in it. I'm about 15 pounds heavier in this. Clip, so that was my next question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't since that day. Yeah. You, you took off the Corona pounds versus everyone else, but <laughs> here it is. Diego Atanasio at Ann Arbor Comedy Showcase. So I was, uh, we had a, we just had a holiday. I was talking to my good friend over the holiday about Santa because uh, neither of us have kids. Does anyone here not have children? Round of applause. <laughs> nice, just don't do it. <laughs> just pull out or fake your orgasms. <laughs> so me and my friend don't have kids, but we're talking about uh, Santa, because we were trying to figure out if when we do have kids one day, are we going to tell them about Santa being real? 
And first of all, I don't get why it's okay for us to lie to kids about Santa being real, but when I used to do it to my ex-girlfriend about us getting married, I'm the bad guy. <laughs> my friends would be like, are you still telling her that? I'd be like, you gotta see the smile it brings to her face. <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. So wasn't this funny when she would do it to me about her taking her birth control? <laughs> so, so me and everyone trying to figure out if telling a kid about Santa Claus can do any long-term psychological damage. And I don't really think it can. I mean, I think it has a lot to do with how you find out. I know there's no good way to break it to your kid that Santa isn't real, but my mom was just doing the dishes while drinking a beer. And then she goes, you're not still dumb enough to believe that, are you? And I had to be like, no. And then I just ran into my room, put my face in my pillow and whispered, he only comes if you believe. And then I just went to prom the next day. So really, I don't think telling you about Santa Claus can do any long-term psychological damage. But here's, honestly, here's what I do think it did for me. I think believing Santa Claus, especially for all those formative years, made it like just a little harder for me to figure out whether or not I believed in God. Does that make sense? Because like for all those years, I believed in this magical guy who can do the impossible. Then it just turns out to be my parents. So then I start growing up and start to question my religion, just trying to figure out what I believe. And I have to call up my mom and dad and be like, wait, are you guys also God? <laughs> like when my ex-girlfriend finally got her period that one time, was that you guys? <laughs> Excellent bookend. Yeah, good work. From now, dead comedian, Diego Atanasio. <laughs> Give it up for Diego Atanasio. Thank you. Uh, stop share. Okay, cool. That's that's a really good bit. Um, do you just tell that around Christmas? <laughs> you know what's funny is I... Cause uh, the beginning of that bit is... Uh, so I was talking to my good friend over the holidays... And I usually say like, we just had a holiday and that's like probably one of the only parts of my act where I have to like stop and think of like the time frame we're at like relative. Cause I'll be like, Oh, we did just have a holiday or I'll be like, Oh, a holiday, you know, Christmas is coming out. I have to like stop and like, I can't just automatically say whatever happens, which is like, right. a weird thing, but yeah, I should probably just change that part. I'm sure there's an easier way to get into it than being like we just had a holiday but yeah we just had father's day did you guys how old were you when you found out dads weren't real <laughs> yeah and the thing is i'm not even it's a lie i wasn't talking to my friend about that we weren't that's not true at all I just, oh, we all uh, modify premises for sure totally. make it work yeah so the veil has been lifted the curtain has been pulled back yeah. that's uh the whole thing is a lie i actually still believe in uh santa so um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, why else would they have NORAD tracking him? Yeah, there you go. That should have been clue number one. Yeah, right. There, there's a lot to to break down in this bit. I, I mean, I love breaking down comedy. I love you know going through bits and like finding out you know the motivation behind it. And mm -hmm. you know, I anytime I hear a good bit, I always want to have seen the first time the comic tried that bit. So. Mm -hmm. The uh, and I I feel like the real setup to that joke was having kids, not having kids. Don't do it. Mm. And yeah. Then, 
So was that the idea behind the joke or was that just a way for you to get to the Santa stuff? Uh, a way for me to get there. Cause I remember that joke came about like the joke's got, you know, the God part, the Santa part, the girlfriend part, the kids part. So the kids part, that used to just be a one-liner about when lying. And when I do it to my ex-girlfriend about us getting married, I'm the bad guy. That was just mm-hmm. separate and completely and that I globbed onto that because it worked. Um, and then not having kids, that's how I open my, my longer set. So it's kind of like this nice, like, Oh, remember how I was talking about it at the beginning? So it's like a thematic thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that's why that joke opens that way. That that that's like the um, beginning of my last seven minutes on stage. If I do a full forty-five, so it's kind of like a comeback of that. Um, yeah. So that that the piece that we just watched is like three different bits that have congealed. Yeah. Okay. Is there mm-hmm. a, is there like a longer form of each of those bits? Um, the the lying yes I think maybe I think all of them possibly but definitely the lying one and and it never quite worked it was like is it okay to lie when's it okay to lie some people I would go go into the audience and be like do you think it's okay to lie some people would say yes some people would say no sometimes a person would like scream no and I'm like oh you've recently been cheated on (laughs) Um, and I guess it never became a bit as much as I was trying to just figure out and have a dialogue with the audience about how they felt about lying. And then I'd go into like, what about Santa or what, you know, and then I'd go into that. Um, Yeah. So that had a longer chunk that never quite became a full good joke. Um, The Santa part is probably as long as it's ever been. Uh, And then I talk about having kids and lying to them. And then I talk about having and sex, how sex is crazy because sex is to make children. That's what sex is for. And then that's a whole longer chunk. So the end has a longer bit and then the beginning had a longer bit. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Using Santa is a great way to package something as deep as is lying okay. Because, I mean if you go in and and you're just very explicitly talking about if lying is okay, I feel like Mm -hmm. the audience is too busy thinking about, you know, the times that they've lied or been lied to, to, and they're too busy doing that to like focus on what you're actually saying. Right. And that's where I, and I want to revisit it, but it's like, I think my first question should be, is that lying? Because I feel like people would have to, have a discussion where you know could possibly have a discussion about that right and and you i mean you asked the question you know uh uh does it have long-term psychological damage Mm -hmm. and you reiterate that question a couple of times throughout the set uh, which kind of like brings everybody back to that point and then you have points following that um i do like you know why is it okay to lie about santa but not to your girlfriend about getting married like that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's a, a great point. It kind of sets the audience up to root against you in the joke. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, like, I love, one of my favorite things to do on stage is to push the audience away and then, and then with the next line or a couple lines later, like pull them back to my side. And you do that really well. Um, you know, you have the, uh, the parallel to Christmas morning, the smile on her face. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah I, I do try to, yeah. That's one of my favorites. And I think, 
sometimes it's lost and it doesn't hit every time. I think sometimes people don't connect the dots there. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. And then when they don't connect the dots, are you able to bring them back in with that, that the birth control line? Mm, I maybe probably. Yeah. Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> well, I feel like that, that line in itself just kind of puts everyone back on your side. Yeah. Because it's like, Oh no, she's lying too. So. Right. That line has a longer and a callback. So this set was shorter. It was like a five minute guest set or something, mm-hmm. but that line about the birth control has like a callback in the longer set, which works really well, but not as great when I don't have it, obviously. Right. So. Um, with, so the, the Santa part of the bit came first, right? I, then, I have no idea. Yeah. I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, let's go back to your origin story. <laughs> it's all a blur of uh, whiskey and bars at night and, you know, who knows what. Do you drink before you get on stage ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not all the time by any means and definitely way less than I used to. Not like out of needing to, but out of just like not caring and being at the bar and, you know, having a couple of drinks. Um, but yeah, I love and I'll say, yeah, I love being on stage drunk. I think it's great. I think it's one of the funnest things ever. You know, it's I like, miss it. You miss it? Wait, are you As sober? I quit drinking, but I didn't, sure. you know, so. <laughs> quit drinking. You're not sober though. You're not, you're not well, like that guy. <laughs> it's weird. I, I didn't quit for like, I just quit because it's healthier to like lose weight and stuff. It wasn't yeah. like because I had a huge problem. I did have a huge problem, but I fixed that. And uh, I still drink moderately now, but not oh, before nice. I do comedy. I like that. You know, you don't hear enough yeah. about I drink moderately first. I had to stop and I couldn't drink ever again, you know? All right. Yeah. Cause it's like, I used to, you know, cheat on my girlfriend. I only do it sometimes now. Right. Uh, <laughs> moderately. Yeah. Moderately. After I've okay. saved up enough tokens. <laughs> uh, I, so yeah, but I think it's great. I think drinking and dry, I mean, being on stage, that too is fun. I mean, not drunk. You shouldn't get wasted, but <laughs> no. a little tipsy, it's a blast. Don't do yeah. it, but it doesn't, who's not going to say that's not more fun. Uh, right. A go-kart. All right. Getting a go-kart. Getting, get on your bicycle there. How about that? Right. Getting drunk and riding a bike. That's right. Good. It is. It's Anything. just like riding a bike. Just like riding a bike. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I do, I do to answer your first question. I do drink and get on stage. Not okay. probably 10% of the time at this point. Do you, do you, do you find that it, um, like, does it loosen up inhibitions? Does it like, do you come up with, do you write on, first of all, do you write on stage? Totally. totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So how does the, the drinking, does that have any effect on writing on stage? I know we're getting off topic, but Sometimes, I'm always interested. I guess, you know, I feel like writing on stage is so random to me. I can't depend on it and I can't, you know, I, I, I never know when it's going to happen. And sometimes it's because of the influence and sometimes it's because of the crowd. Sometimes it's because of my temperament. Like if mm-hmm. I'm just tired and annoyed, sometimes I'll write on stage the best or, you know, so I don't, I want to say that drinking doesn't necessarily impact it that much. I mean, it's, I've definitely done it, I think, but I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't count on like, you know, doing some shots to like get some inspiration while I'm on stage by any means. I don't know. I feel like writing on stage is just a showing up thing. Like if you show up a hundred times, it's like eventually like your brain's going to think of something extra. Right. It's always been my 
experience. So like I have to count on the reps to get to squeeze some juice out of there. Do you yeah, um, improvise? It's just improvising, but it's writing on stage because you save it, you know? Right. So it's like same difference, but exactly yeah. right. It is improvising. And sometimes it's like, you know, my favorite is when the audience like says something and like asks something, you know, and it's without it being like annoying or a, a derailing heckle when they're like, what do you mean? Not what do you mean? But sometimes they'll, they'll say like something about their experience and you're like, and you can talk that through. And what do you mean? Santa isn't real. <laughs> exactly. Oh, I'm just kidding. I, just an extra thing you can mash up with the joke, uh, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And, you know, that's my favorite. That's probably one of my favorite parts of comedy. And the thing that I miss the most, and I, t- I was talking to my friend, I'm like, I have a show. And he's like, do you want to practice on me? And I'm like, I can't. It's not, you know, it's like, I need people, like I need a group of people to practice on. Cause it's like, however you think when you're in front of a group of people and you start doing all these calculations of how they're reacting. And I don't know, it's, there's like a lot of social and emotional things happening all at once you know, then it's like, you can't get that from one person. Yeah. You need the vibe of a group of people or like the lack of a vibe or, you know what I mean? It feels like very different, like the pressure in the room or whatever it is, like feels different when it's working, when it's not. And I think you need numbers for that effect. Yeah. The only thing you can really work on is just in front of a friend is just getting that repetition in, but that's like so bare. Everything else is like timing is all audience involved, you know? So it's like, and repetition, that's going to happen. You know what I mean? Like that's the last thing I need help with really. Yeah. I did an open mic for the first time a a little over a week ago for like in in three months, I did two shows and I hit the ground running a lot better than I thought I would. Really? Because I've gone without two weeks and just been really rusty. But then three months for some reason, I was like really ready to get back into it. But, um, yeah, I did not expect that. I think a lot of people will do that. I mean, I've been, I've been doing it for eight years now, so I think it's just partly that. Yeah, totally. Where was it? It was at uh, Winchester and LVT, Lakewood Village Tavern. Cool, so, cool, cool. And there was people. Yeah. yeah, the first show was like eight people, but the second show was like 30 people, which was way too much. Oh, really? What do you mean? It was packed, no masks. Oh, I, knew <laughs> Nobody I only went in masks. for 10 minutes. I was no. outside the whole time, went in. Did my nice. 10 minutes, went right back outside. Sure. <laughs> so, shot at 10 minutes or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, he yeah. also, uh, he, he brought that, that blanket with him on stage too. So he did. Safe. I was in pajamas. <laughs> good bit. <laughs> like some of the top bits. You can't laugh at that. Back to the, the psychological damage question. I mean, there's no good. Was that really how you found out? You know, was it just your mom just nonchalantly like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Totally. And I remember she was drinking, maybe I'm conflating memories, but I feel like she was drinking a Heineken. She doesn't usually drink. Um, and I remember, I feel like I asked for some and she let me have a sip. And I, I, so I feel like that all was a part of the memory. So, yeah. Okay. There's no good way to drink a Heineken. <laughs> That's that. That should be in the joke. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so then you kind of set yourself up as this like innocent, like naive, you know, with the, the act out, the no, mm-hmm. the pause yeah. is what makes that punchline work. Did you ever use it? Did you ever do it without a pause and 
realize like, because pa- a pause in itself can be a punchline or one of the best setups for a punchline. So how often do you, do you say to yourself after you listen to yourself, like, oh, I need a pause here? Like, right. Yeah, I didn't, I definitely didn't always do a pause there. And the pause has taken a lot of work like that because it's probably the only moment in my whole act that I stopped talking like that. And it feel it feels so real and visceral. And like, I have to like, I think it's, it, it takes a lot of work for me to not step on it and not, and really, cause you know, at that point my adrenaline's up. So like times the dilation of time is weird. And so it's like really give it a beat and maybe longer than I think. And that's also probably one of the few times that I feel like I'm like breaching on acting in my set. You know what I mean? I'm like trying to like really put myself in a feeling and, and like, and I completely shift my face when I do it right. And I try mm-hmm. to shift my bodily emotion and it's like, yeah, it's an, I feel like it's one of the beginnings of me learning how to do stand up a little better is that pause there. You make a good point about acting because your face does drop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, the nonverbal, you know, you could, you could word vomit, you know, and then, you know, I got sad or whatever. And the, the pause is that much more effective because your facial expression changes and your shoulders right. slump a little bit. So right. well played on that. Yeah. Because pa- I mean, pausing, that can be a real harrowing experience. Like you said, the manipulation of time when you're on stage is different. And, uh, you know, a comic that is comfortable with the silence, I have so much respect for just cause it's daunting because you think you should always be saying something. Totally. So how long did it take you to, to get comfortable with that? Years maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And I still, I still don't do it great all the time. It still I feel like as a comic, as a comic, you sort of build up this sort of credit where you're comfortable with things because you've already sort of built up a confidence in that you're like, who cares? I've done this so many times that I just don't care if I go out on a limb here, take these risks because I can always go back to what's safe and I have nothing to prove to anybody anymore. So it's like, yeah, you're almost known to it. You know, maybe that's not the most positive way of saying it, but I'm kind of just don't care. You can't, you can't really feel the pain of the the, um, failure. It's actually great. So, I mean, you know, that numbness is a good numbness for sure. You're just like, eh, I don't care. You guys don't, I don't care what you think. Like I do, but I don't, if it doesn't go the way I want it to, so I can always just do this again right. tomorrow or yeah. 45 right. minutes from now. Exactly. Right. The best cure for a bad set is another set. Right. Mm-hmm. When you get on stage, you set goals for yourself, like little things like pause here. And that's the only thing I'm going to do different with this set as opposed to the last time I got on stage? A little bit, a little bit. Um, I definitely have remembered like being like, okay, try to, I try to have fun is a big one for me. Like, just like, don't worry. And like really have fun in each joke. And then another one, I can't remember. I know I remember the feeling of like being like, these are two things that I wanted to work on. And they're not necessarily like jokes. They're like how I do it. I remember to do it, but yeah, mm. I definitely have that every once in a while. I don't, not every time, but when I remember to, I'm like, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully this will help. Yeah. Have fun. That's, that's good advice for any comic. Have fun in each joke. Cause I mean, yeah. if you're not, why are you doing it? Right. Yeah. That too. And then from a selfish perspective, um, 
maybe you are a better entertainer and do better if you are having fun. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where I'm taking it from. I'm taking it from a, like how to how to do better on stage. Cool. I feel like there's definitely no argument there where if you're not having fun, there's no way that that's going to go better than if you were. So, yeah, and it like in terms of improvising and what we were talking about earlier about writing on stage, I think I do that. I definitely tend to do that more if I'm like, you know, I have like a lighthearted vibe about me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just less stressed. That's some, that's advice that somebody gave me and they were like, uh, some headliner was like, I was in this place where sometimes I was killing and sometimes I wasn't. It's like, obviously I have all the material and you know, I'm in a position to close out the shows, but I just couldn't figure out like the element in my, and at the time he said his wife told him, she's like, well, like whenever you kill, it's like, she looks like you're just having a really good time up there. And he was like, okay. And since like, I guess that made the difference for him. And that was his advice to me was to just to really try to have a good time. Having fun seriously connects with the audience. There's like, there's no way around it. You have, I've told myself this the last year or two is like, if you're not having fun up there, well, A, it's what's the point. And right. B, it's like, having fun, the audience just picks up on that so quickly and it just like really, it's night and day. So definitely a requirement. I mean, why is the audience there? They're not there to, to have a terrible time. You a know, good they're there to have fun. A good verb to use along with fun is play. It's like, it's play. like improv, improv, improv is all based on play too. It's like, right. you gotta play. You can't just be like reciting or delivering or doing work. What you feel like is some sort of task. It's not a task. Go up there and, and be a funny person and have fun. Right. Yeah. And the audience is rooting for that. Like you said, David, um, they're there to have a good time. Like I forget that all the time. They're like they yeah. should, like, they came to a comedy. They like, you know, they paid or whatever to like, they're like, all right, let's have fun. Like we want this thing. This experience is supposed to generate fun for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, it's it's easy to forget because you get so into your head. Like, I gotta do good, right? I yeah, be the best I ever. Do, and yeah. like, they're not there yeah. for that. That's forcing and, it. That's the. It's weird how there's that finesse. You know, it's like golfing. You don't want to hit the the ball too hard, or else it's not going to go that far. Right. Like, you can't overthink right. it. Right. It's right in the middle. Yeah. No, you really got to be in the moment. Um, and that's that's super important. Um, and then Steve, like you said, it's it's play, and that's. Uh, I mean, we're, we're all, we're all still kids deep down. And uh, I love that Mark Twain quote, work and play are the same thing under different circumstances. I forget the exact quote, but or, yeah, man, now I'm mad at that. I forgot the quote. Mm. I was like, Oh, I have this quote that I know that I'm going to drop. And they're going to be like, wow, this is an amazing <laughs> quote by Mark Twain. Can't believe this guy knows this <laughs> Mark Twain quote. Oh, I think so much higher of him right now. As long <laughs> as it doesn't I have the N word in it. Yeah. <laughs> laughing the joke so you say no you run into your room you bury your face in the pillow all kids can relate to that mm-hmm. i can all relate kids. to it right now yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly is, uh, sh- uh, sh- shorties everybody shorties <laughs> <laughs> but everybody has that shared experience as a kid you know your your parents say something that <laughs> that like uh that you know, shuts you down or makes you angry or makes you sad. And you run to your room, slam the door and bury your face in the pillow. And then you, you whisper to yourself, you know, he, he, he comes if you believe. That's just, so, that's, <laughs> a, that's such like a cheesy line out of context. But mm-hmm. in that, in that setting, it's so funny. It is very uh, funny. Yeah. 
I mean, weren't we that we were told that ad nauseum as kids about Santa? Like, no, you have to keep believing. That's almost the line that your parents would use if you were to start thinking he wasn't real and they decided you were too young. Like, I know my well, parents use that on me. That's some Peter Pan rhetoric. Some yeah. very Peter totally. Pan ish clap. <laughs> rhetoric. Clap, Peter, clap. <laughs> <laughs> to frame it in terms of rhetoric, that Santa Claus rhetoric from when you were a kid. <laughs> that's funny, man. Peter um, Pan. <laughs> the next line that you use uh, is I just went to prom the next day. That's, <laughs> I love that almost magic trick of sure. having a B story running at the same time that you don't reveal to the audience until the end. Like what, what made you use prom for like as the example in this one? Mm. Was that a part of the original joke or was that like a, no, it definitely took a while to, I mean, the, yeah, the joke ended on, you know, he only comes if you believe for a long time. And then I wanted a way to tell the audience how old I was and to say that I was too old. And I don't recall the other versions, but saying it like that wasn't the first way for sure. And I think I was like, oh, and then I just, I don't remember how I said it. I, yeah, I don't, it took a while to get to that we're you know saying it and i remember learning from comedians like different levels of jokes where like level one joke is like you'd be like and i was in high school and level two joke would be like and i went to prom the next day where you hint at yeah. what you're saying by describing around it um so that took a little work to figure out exactly the fastest and most embarrassing versus like not too old like and then uh, you know something like that definitely um, that classic instance of uh letting them put together a little bit of the joke and that being part of the fun of, of, of laughing at, at a joke. Totally. And it was the, it's kind of the only part in that joke. That's like a joke, joke part, you know, like where mm -hmm. it's just like written joke right. format, which I like, I like to keep having parts in my act that are just jokes. They're like not funny because it's like life funny. It's funny because of the magic trick of the word. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I love that because because the audience is with you through the whole Santa thing, and you've already you've already won them over with that. And then that last second reveal is just like it's that not Inception. What, what was the uh, the the other Christopher Nolan movie? The Magic uh, the, with uh, oh. Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. The Prestige. Prestige. It's yeah, yeah. It's that. It's that moment where it's like i've been listening to a totally different story this whole time and if i mean if you gave them the time to really sit and think about it which you don't because that that would ruin the rest of the bit um i mean they could really put together these pieces of the story and and really kind of reframe it and it wouldn't be as funny uh, but just in that one line you reveal that and then you move on to the next part of the joke which is this is the, the part of the joke. Like you have this playful, you know, almost childlike exuberance in the first part of the joke. And then we're going to talk about religion. Right. And that's a, it's, and, and one of the clips we're going to play later. Uh, also he, he has used kind of the same tool using Santa Claus as an example and make it made it harder for you to figure out whether you believed in God or not. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone gets quiet and is like listening, like, where is he going to take this? And then, uh, you know, it turns out to be your parents after all these years. And then the way you, <laughs> I called my parents and then 
I just said, are you guys also God? (laughs) I don't know what it is about use of the word also Mm. in a sentence, but it's like, it's one of those words that if you use it in the right place, that in itself can like make a joke funny or, I mean, it's kind of like the hard K's and the, you know, the different plumes. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. I don't know. How did you get to that part of the joke? Uh, before it was a polished bit or was it always just like, here it is. No, no, that's strung along. That was a really long process. And I think that part was inspired by some listening to podcasts or someone talking about having kids and they're like, when their kids start asking about the Easter bunny and they're like, what about God? And they're like, well, I don't, the dad has to be like, I don't know what to tell you there. Like, that's why I drink at night. I think it's, yeah. <laughs> um, so I remember that coming later the part about God and that whole, uh, exploration of the sub, which, yeah, I mean, I guess that it's very real to me. It's very like, I, I have this issue where, you know, now I got to talk to my wife and we've had these arguments where it's like, I don't know that I want to, tell my kids about Santa Claus, like lie to them about Santa because I do feel like it's confusing. I think it's ultimately confusing. And the argument that like, Oh, it's so magical. It's so fun. It's like, I think there's like enough fun to Christmas. Like I think all the presents are already going to redline your serotonin. Like mm. I think yeah. that's already very exciting. True. Yeah. We don't need this, this, uh, dimension of mysticism. Yeah. 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 Fan fiction, yeah. <laughs> right. All the food and you're off of school and you get everything you want, hopefully. And, you know, I don't know. Right. So I mean, yeah. as a kid, when you watch Avengers, you know those heroes aren't real, but you're mm-hmm. still like fully enveloped in it. So why? I mean, because you're sending your kids a mixed message. Don't lie. Mm-hmm. But this entire, uh, like, Ocean's Eleven style heists of like a childhood character is coming down our chimney and right. infiltrating your home. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This crazy elaborate scheme of lying, but lying is bad. That's something I think I still need to develop more honestly. And I'd love to talk to people more about that. And like, why is, I mean, most people would agree that that's, a, I mean, who can refute that that's a lie. Right. And who can, and most people would agree that that's worth doing. So it's like, that's a lie that's worth lying about. Like why? I mean, I, I, I can think about a lot of good reasons why. Right. You can stretch that. You have, you have the, the why of the joke down, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what is lying? When is it okay to lie? Uh, and you can just form all the rest of the bit around that theme, which I mean, we had this conversation with a comic a couple episodes ago and he, he went really in depth on, you know, finding the why behind the joke rather than just saying funny things. There's a point to everything. And if you package it up real nicely or, you know, stuff it in a stocking, you know, you can get away with saying anything. Mm -hmm. And so using Santa Claus and lying and, and religion in the same breath is, is a, it's a great way to bring up that God question to an audience without making them feel attacked. Yeah. Still um, very uncomfortable. I still do not yeah. like doing that joke. I like doing it, but it still makes me feel weird every time I have to say it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, I don't blame do you. you. 
<laughs> right. Do you get uh, usually a positive reaction now that you've kind of honed it to the point? Yeah, where- more or less. Yeah. Sometimes someone will react at that line and just saying whether or not I believed in God and they'll just react right away, you know, and be like, Oh my God, or say something worse, you know? Um, but usually, and I think the explanation comes fast enough. And I think I take it to a, like around enough and more just logical and not, I'm not bashing or anything like that. It's purely like a psychological argument you know, yeah. that, that I would hope most people can relate to. That's really the crux of it is that I want, I, I wish for the bulk of audiences to agree with that line of thinking that they're like, yeah, doesn't that make sense? It makes sense. It's not, I'm saying God isn't real. And I, you know, I almost have toyed with the idea of being like, that's, I'm not saying I don't believe in God and, and you know, but I'm saying like, doesn't, it doesn't make sense that it's confusing to have all this stuff and then all this stuff. And one of them is not real. And you're like, well, what about this stuff? You know? Right. Yeah a great way to toe that line i've i've had jokes where i told the audience like guys i'm a santa atheist uh (laughs) and then i'll like just go into that and be like i I wrote a book called the santa delusion Uh and like all these like you know just oh i have i have a lot of jokes like that but yeah but i rarely touch on religion it's it is i like you said it can be a little bit weird but you got to remember that that tension is great i mean you guys all know this it's like Tension's great for relieving in a punchline. So as long as you're not going too far into the tension, it won't ruin that that payoff, I guess. Right. Yeah, I never quite get them. Never like, oh, if you believe in God, you're stupid. What are you thinking? Whatever. You know. Yeah. Kind of just edgy open mic comic. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Without jokes. (laughs) Right. Just why are you giving me an uninformed TED talk that isn't funny at all? Uh, Right. Right. Yeah. At least have some bullet points in a slideshow. Um. No, and everybody's asked that question too, no matter your level of faith or not, you know, you have to have asked that question, you know, if it's something that you can't see, no matter how many, how much it's hammered into your head that it's true, at least at one point you have to say, but is it right? And then, you know, you know, people will move on next and you move on really nicely in the joke and you bring it back. Like you said, with that callback uh, to the, the birth control bit. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, when your ex finally got her period and it bookends it really, really nicely and almost makes people forget about the fact that you questioned religion and then you move on to the next point and everybody's still on board. Yeah. Pregnancy, pregnancy, the only thing people, uh, scares people more than God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone's been there where their girlfriend's been yeah. like, I'm pregnant. And you're like, are you really? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> or just the late period thing. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. We've all been there. Um, and that, th- I think that uh, sets up this next clip really nicely. Um, Daniel Sloss is, I don't know if you uh, had it, you either of you have had a chance to watch this clip or are familiar with it, but uh, he is a brilliant uh, Scottish comic and he He's young, like he's in his early 20s when this yeah. was done. And he has a great method for packaging controversial topics. And he does it perfectly in this bit uh, about religion. I mean, it's hard to compare bits, but at the same time, you know, he makes a couple of the same points, but in different ways. And that's the beauty of this is there's an infinite number of ways to laugh at the same things, even in the same way. It's just so, make sure it's loud enough. Yeah. Yeah, that's I'm going to put my mic. Yeah, I'll edit in the audio and you have to act like that you're 
Well, you already okay. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> but because I'm using the mic as the as the um, input or whatever. All right. So okay, yeah. I'm gonna hold it up to the speaker so you guys. Should yeah, do that. And then here we go. Uh, Daniel Sloss. This is um, on religion. I think one of the hardest things about being a parent must be Christmas morning when you spend all this time, money, and effort making this day so magical. And then you look down at your child with those beautiful blue eyes that you hope resemble yours. And they spend the whole day thanking Santa. You know that disappointment that parents feel in that moment? That's exactly how doctors feel whenever you thank God. Mr. Darcy, we are delighted to announce that your cancer has gone into remission. Oh, oh, thank the Lord. (laughs) 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 What? No, sorry, she's funny. I just couldn't see his name anywhere on this chart. Uh, (laughs) You can see my name right at the top there, Dr. Michaels. Sat with you through two and a half months of chemotherapy. You're welcome, by the way. Dr. Connor's over there. She spent six hours kind of tumor out your lung. Uh, got the names of all the wait staff, all the nurse staff here. Can't seem to find the Lord's name. <laughs> yes, but, 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 but the Lord sent you. <laughs> I don't think he did. He certainly didn't chip in for that medical degree. In fact, if I remember correctly, you came to me. I diagnosed you and then I specified the treatment. In fact... If I cast my memory even further back, he's the one that gave you cancer. (laughs) Why? Maybe because you're an ungrateful fuck. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. I told that joke uh, in America one time. Hmm? Uh, Not big fans. I overheard a man complaining about that joke afterwards to a member of staff. Word for word, this is what he said. That boy is awful. That boy is disgusting. He is exactly what is wrong with this world. You can make fun of the blacks. You can make fun of the queers. You can even make fun of the colored ones. But nobody makes fun of Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. And he didn't appreciate when I then took the time out to explain to him that technically, technically, Jesus was one of the colored ones. <laughs> Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which is in the Middle East. So had he been white, that would have been the fucking miracle. You crossed the line. I love when comics broach those topics that you're not supposed to talk about, especially religion, because I grew up in a, in, in a pretty strict Catholic family. We went to church every Sunday. I went to Catholic school growing up. And all of that was always funny to me. The Bible was always funny to me. I've always been like, one of these days, I'm going to write an entire parody of the entire Bible. (laughs) And uh, I still haven't done it yet, but we'll see. Uh, But it's hard to bring up. It's it's hard to bring up as a comic because people have those deep-seated beliefs and they're there, like we said earlier, they're there to have fun. And when you're bringing yeah. up a topic like that, not like there are some people who just start hearing that and they're like, oh, we're not having fun anymore. Right. You shut it down. Especially here in the Midwest. Honestly, like if you go to New York or LA, like you're going to have an easier, or like even Austin or more progressive small towns, you know? Right. You're going to have a better time of that. You know, like I did a show in Portland and it's like I said abortion and they started just clapping at the award. They were just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> do it anything they were just all in about whatever just for the sake of 
because of your sale. Oh man. Like, now I want to go to Portland. It's great. I highly recommend it. I don't have a lot of abortion jokes, but it's just a, a whole, you know, just, they're just easier audiences. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Progressive audiences for sure. But they, they also have their, their faux pas exactly. as well. You know, exactly. yeah, they have true. their buttons that, but you're right. So yeah, whenever you go to one of those topics relatively, you're, some people are just gonna be like, no, yeah, not even going to think about it. We don't want to think about it. Right. I mean, you have to know where the audience is coming from. Like you have to know if you're in Portland, like, all right, for the most part, this is going to be a very progressive minded audience. So, but there are always going to be people there that don't, that aren't there for certain jokes. And, you know, yeah, as long you, as can, you can, you know, you can't talk about being a, a woman there, but they'll love that in fucking Florida, you know? Yeah. So, like, yeah. It's, that's the beauty of it is, is, you know, you can make a connection with an audience in Florida and you can make a connection in, with an audience in Oregon with two totally different bits. And uh, the, the whole thing, this is, packaged so nicely in you know the hardest one of the hardest things about being a parent is that feeling of of not being appreciated so even though he's not a parent he makes that connection with parents like how would you feel if you spend all this time and all this money on these presents and developing this ruse to to fool your kid and then christmas morning comes and they're not even thanking you (laughs) They're, they're thanking uh you know this thing that isn't even real that is you how do you feel? So he sets it up perfectly and then he just throws a quick jab without the audience. He doesn't even give the audience time to think about what he's going to talk about next when he says, that's like a doctor and you know, you thanking God when you get better mm-hmm. because the laugh there, if you listen closely to it is, is different from the, the initial laughs. Totally. It's, yeah. It's tense um, and quick. Yeah. It's, and he just, Without even addressing the tension, he's just in one line. It's it's just there, and it's great. And then um, it, it, before your brain has time to even catch up, like um, you know, I've read that one of the best ways to start uh, an exercise habit is to go to bed in your workout clothes, and then just get out of bed, put your shoes on, and go and just like start working out before your brain even knows what's happening, before it can even offer objections. Mm-hmm. Um, it, are there are there times where you know when you're on stage? I mean, whether you're trying something new or not, where you try to kind of sneak in. Like, what are your what is your advice on on uh, putting together like a joke like that, where you know you package something controversial mm-hmm. and wrap it up in a nice bow? We're going to keep going with these Christmas analogies. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, what is your advice when it comes to something like that? Definitely confidence, like the, I call it like steamrolling or like sticking your chest out, like where you have to just like be resilient to the reaction, you know? And obviously if you know that it's going to be negative, like I think one of the hardest things to do in standup is not physiologically respond to the audience's reaction, you know? Cause it, like they can, like, you know, if you, if a laugh falls flat, like it like feel like, you know what I mean? It makes your body react. And then, depending on how disciplined you are, like you will react to that reaction. Like you'll show it, you know what I mean? You'll be like, um, um, or whatever, or, or react negatively. You know, when comics like start shitting on the audience, you're like, Hey, that was funny. Instead of like staying in the performance of it, where like a movie or uh, in theater, I guess that's like nice about comedy, but also 
the flaw in like lower levels of it, but like staying in it to get to the next part where you're going to get them. Like, I think that my advice has always been like through repetition and like learn the feeling of like standing up straight through that feeling and like practice that and yeah. like building the, like, like don't give a shit armor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I know that feeling. Cause when you talk about that, I'm like, I know I've done that before. I can't remember exactly what it was, but that's definitely a thing. Totally. And it's completely natural. It's like what your body wants to do. And it makes sense. Cause if you were having con- like a conversation with one other person and that happened, you'd want to address it. And you'd be like, Oh, okay. never mind." Or why do you feel that? You know what I mean? Like something that isn't, and it's kind of like the unnatural part of comedy is sometimes you have to ignore what's like the reality of what a conversation would be. Cause you've got something, right. you know, right there. Plus there you're times. like a lot of times as a comic, you're, you're telling, you're doing a, a very unnatural thing, which is saying something pretty controversial in front of a whole crowd of people, which is like a really weird situation to be in otherwise. Totally. That's yeah, and you're, so. you're not free of reacting to the way that people would react any more than you're free of it if you were talking one-on-one with somebody, you know what I mean? Like, if you said something really upsetting to someone face-to-face, like, you're going to react to the their upset. Yeah, in the middle of a conversation, you're not just going to be like, "Yeah, God's not real," and then just keep going. And <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you, it's almost like a psychopath quality that you need to embrace. If there is no level of fear when you're starting out as a comic, you're clearly a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's like if you're just like, "Yeah, this is awesome," instead of like, "Oh man, I'm talking to a bunch of people," then you know, there's there is also a thing just confidence. But a lot of people are just sociopathic and want to fuck with an audience it's weird but yeah yeah you make a good point with with the uh, the physiology of it um he uh, for example like his his facial expressions just like you did you know with the no like mm-hmm. uh his facial expressions in themselves are punchlines in some of his jokes oh, yeah. or or just contribute to what he's actually saying in a way almost as a setup uh which i mean his that's his style of comedy. Like his act outs are great. You can tell the difference between characters without, and then he said, and then she said, and then they said, you know, so he, he, I always like to watch different comics uh, in their act outs and how they, how they present it, you know, physiologically different change in facial expressions, change in voice. Do you do like, do you do, I mean, you've done, I've seen you do some act outs when you're, uh, when you're simulating dialogue, how do you, like, what is the best method for you? I mean, I know it varies situation mm-hmm. to situation, but totally, totally varies. I think sometimes I do a voice and sometimes I just say the words of whatever they said. And, um, and I'm not really sure that I have like a rhyme or reason. Maybe some old, some jokes are older and I didn't used to do a voice and I just never thought to do it. And some jokes are newer and I think I should try to act more. Um, yeah, it really depends. Uh, I can't think of any great examples off the top of my head, but it, it yeah, it just depends. But I definitely do some voices, and I, I try to do short voices because I feel like I'm not great at like accents or voices, so I like keep them to like one or two words just yeah. to like hide. Because I feel like if I try to string out an accent, it falls apart. Yeah. So no, and that and that's good too. You got to know like what you're good at 
I mean, that's a great way, yeah. you know, as far as act outs go. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're not, if I'm not good at emoting, like I should probably not try to act out somebody crying. It's going to come across as inauthentic. Right, right. Um, I used to do a uh, uh, Obama joke, and then I would just, I could only do his accent for like one word. And then I would, <laughs> yeah. So that's all that I could get out. Also notice that doing an accent or, or a voice or whatever uh, in front of an audience is probably like it feels like it's five times harder than it is when you're just by yourself because oh. you're getting that sort of again it's that self consciousness you get from being in front of an audience where you're like uh, this can so much more concentration involved. When I do an accent, it always reverts to a Russian accent at the end, no matter what accent it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I, uh, I did a just a throwaway line the other night, uh, Steve, I used the, uh, the, the 104.5, the fever in my getting sick. Oh yeah. Bit. And I, and I kind of, I went with it, you know, playing today's hottest hits, you know, Sean Paul temperature. And then I went on just a riff about how Sean Paul doesn't actually use lyrics to confuse people that write, like try to figure out what lyrics are so they can post them to Google. And I did a Jamaican accent and oh, no. about one sentence into it. I was like, honestly, that's the first time I've ever tried a Jamaican accent which it was like, I, that's not an accent that I go to. I, I always lean into like the Cockney accent and like Brooklyn, but uh, yeah. the Jamaican accent just kind of came out of my face while I was on stage. And I, after one terrible sentence of it, of impersonating what I think Sean Paul would sound out sound in conversation. I was like, yeah, that's, you know, you drew attention. I drew attention to it. And that kind of, cause when I started it, everybody was like, mm, that's yeah. bad. That's bad. <laughs> Don't do <Right>. it. <laughs> And so I was like, yeah, you know, that's the first time I've ever done that. Probably the last, but you know, thank you. For, yeah, it's for the real time body language that yeah. also makes you self-conscious is like when you start it and the audience is not reacting to it, you're like, should I even keep going? Like, yeah. So I don't think you can go that far, <laughs> that far with an accent and then not address it when it doesn't work. <laughs> Just move yeah. on to the next joke. So dating's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do that. Um, what I also like about uh, his bit is that he built it in beats and you did the same thing with yours too, Diego, but you know, he's got the first beat where, you know, they thank God and the doctor kind of looks down at the, at the chart and like, I can't seem to find the Lord's name. And then the second beat, but the Lord sent you. Mm. Yeah. And then he kind of elevates it. The reaction from the doctor is elevated it's and this is something that I learned in, in sketch comedy writing. You know, I took uh, classes at UCB when I lived in New York, and it's something that I didn't realize before because I had written sketches before that were just not good. And the the simple act of of three beats of elevating each one in its absurdity until you get to the third beat, which m might be at the line, like might eventually, you know, might be almost crossing the line, and that's where you stop and. It's again back to the power of threes too. That's always uh, is that a, is that a rule that you? I mean, do you live by that rule or do you? Sometimes, yeah, yeah definitely. I mean, I think it's a very natural rule. I can it's it's like a rhythm thing, and you feel it, you know. So yeah. it's like even without knowing it, I think people do it naturally. And some jokes I do it, and some jokes I'm like, actually, often when I write, when I write right, which is not as much as I usually just do two, and I'm like, I know I should think of a third, I'm just lazy but yeah. maybe eventually I will. And that comes maybe on stage or later for some reason, but yeah, definitely. I feel that. And I try to do that. Definitely does seem natural because whenever I, whenever I do like two 
or four or five or more than that, it just does not ring like three does, you know? So it's like, yeah. And I think it's a rule for a reason, you know, it comes from a very, uh, I think it comes from like a natural law. Yeah. It's like pattern yeah. detection. Yeah. You it may know, not even be literal, li- literary, like you said, yeah, pattern detection or something where it's like that just makes the most audible sense or the mental sense. So it's weird. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if your brain, if you set up a pattern, you know, A, B, your brain is next going to go, oh, A, or, you know, it naturally has its own mm. way of trying yeah. to figure out what what's happening next. That's how, that's how our brains work. I mean, it's all pattern detection. You know, we see... Right things happening a certain way if that then this and uh you know when you have that that third beat that kind of pulls the rug out from under that that's where that cognitive dissonance comes in where you just laugh kind of like where music music is like bass well it's there's obviously different time signatures but you have like say you have like a quad like people were rapping or something they have the quatrains there's like a roundedness to it where it's like and it's like it all just like makes it's like so nice and you know you don't want to deviate from that there was that meme that was how many chuggas before the choo-choo when it you know and there's a natural rhythm kevin james had a bit about like phone rhythm and like giving someone your phone number and like how like no one explains that but everyone just like that 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 that. So you ever have someone be like that 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 that? And you're like, wait, what's your number? What the? Yeah, I don't trust you anymore. Is that your address? Yeah, it's like too soon. The third beat in his joke is, you know, he's the one that gave you cancer, and it's the most controversial beat. You can't go any further than that. As a comic, you get to that. Oh, this is too far. Point. Let me dial it back. I've probably seen about 20 to 30 minutes of your material, Diego. And mm-hmm. you, you know, you don't really take it too far as far as controversial topics. And mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're very, it, I, I don't want to say safe, but you frame it in a way that, that is, I mean, you know, yeah. no, you I'm can say so many cool. things. Yeah. Um, is the, has there ever been uh, a punchline, a beat that you've, that you've delivered that has just gone a little bit, you know, too far. Oh yeah. All yeah. the time. And yeah. yeah, it's still, I still have jokes that I'll do when I hate the audience and I'm like, this is just very offensive and well, <laughs> yeah. no one's going to get on board. And but then it like has multiple parts to it and it just gets worse. And I'm like, this is just funny for me. And I don't yeah, like you guys. Yeah. So I, I definitely like, you know, when I'm like paid and when I'm trying to do a good job, I'm very pal palatable. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. So, you know, and that's taken years of uh, trial and error, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely used to be a lot more Anthony Jeselnik, dark, or just offensive for saying crazy shit just to say it, you know, just testing the waters and how it feels. And I still love saying really messed up stuff just because it's crazy. Um, but I my act has curtailed to, like, trying to, get booked and get rebooked and you know get i feel like i I feel like doing stand-up at a professional level at least at a certain professional level i think after a certain point you know when you have fans and when you're doing what you want that's different but at a certain level maybe at like not a great level it's like running for a political office it's like being booked is all about being rebooked 
You know, it's like, mm, you want to yeah. come back. It's like, yeah, sure. You get the, you get a chance to whatever headline hilarities, but it's like, does that really matter if they don't like you and you can't ever come back? Or do you want to get a slot there every year? Right. That's the real, you know, not to be like, who cares about the moment, but to me, that's like the game plan is like, do a good job. So they'll have you back. Like I want that in my calendar every year. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, and it all goes back to is the audience having fun? I mean, you can go as far as you want, as long as the audience is having fun with it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're not having fun if the audience isn't having fun. Otherwise, right. why are you doing comedy? <laughs> Going back to, to Santa, in in that it's not necessarily <laughs> That's the funniest thing. Back, going I don't back know why, to, that just sounds so funny to me. <laughs> All right, going back to Santa. Back to Santa. <laughs> I know, okay, I just, okay, okay, but now seriously, Santa Claus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting down to the topics that matter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, at any point in your life, you're, you're going to be dealt unexpected and bad news. Uh So, I mean, whether it wears a red suit and, you know, rides in a sleigh pulled by a flying reindeer or, you know, uh, you find out somebody that you know is sick, like there's a way to, to handle that news. Um, And so like, how do you use, humor do you use humor to use comedy when you're delivered bad news and you know if you do like how do you do you work that into your comedy and if so how soon that's like a three-part question so i can Mm. reiterate any point but steve (laughs) (laughs) the santa thing's like very real to me so that's like definitely like me coping with that experience and like trying to you know process it like i think i'm a very slow emotional processor like i definitely takes takes me a long time for things to hit like some if you came and told me my dad died it wouldn't hit me for like a week i don't think like i just take a while to even realize like emotionally like i think i put up a wall very fast and like numb myself like so cliche such a man cliche to do but um i do that and then so it takes a lot of process and then i think i joke immediately to deal with something um, to maybe assist with the non-coping and the blocking out. How have you worked it in? Have you worked it into to your material? Yeah, I mean... I mean, obviously even, with Santa. Santa, and even the God thing. Like, I'm not... You know, I, I feel like one of the biggest cliffhangers of that joke is I think the audience wants to know. It's like, wait, do you believe in God? Like, I don't know, for their sake, or <laughs> if they can decide if they can like me or not. You know, I kind of feel like I need to be like, Hey, I do believe in God or I don't. And the truth is I don't know. And I'm still working through that emotionally. And I think a big part of it is like not knowing what to believe. And a lot of my psychology being based off what I was told as a kid. So it's like, and that's, that's the thing that like, if I have kids one day, I want to like, maybe not due to them. Cause I think it is confusing and it's like, I don't know, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't, but that's not helping you figure that out. Not that maybe you can ever figure that out. I guess that's what faith is about. But, um, so yeah, I mean, probably the God part more than the Santa part is like me trying to use comedy to work through some good or bad news. I guess I, I did have a joke where I start like where I would say that I became an atheist as a kid. And then 
and then I found out God wasn't real like a few years later. But yeah. like, so like, I don't know, it was one of those things, but not a true story, but maybe in reverse. But yeah, it's I, important I to I'm, ask questions. Well, yeah, totally. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a hallmark of the scientific process and getting to something that's real is it should be able to stand up to scrutiny. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're afraid mm-hmm. of scrutiny, it's like, then you might not really have a good argument. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. When the answer is you just got to believe it's like, well, that's not, that doesn't answer my question. And then they're like, stop asking questions. And it's like, but now that makes me think that you're trying to hide something. Mm-hmm. I like to avoid it because I don't like making people feel uncomfortable. I don't want to hurt people's feelings to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I used to be more like very militant as, as a non-believer, but I, I wouldn't say that uh, nowadays I just respect people's beliefs like fully. And I do, I do not want to offend people. Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to put them in an emotionally vulnerable state. That's a bad time for everybody. Unless you're a social sociopath. Exactly. Like (laughs) exactly. feel bad and you're going to be like, uh, unless like there's someone you hate for some reason, you're like in an awkward position now. Why do you want to be in that position? Why would you no. like that? Yeah. It's a, it's a weird conversation starter. That's for sure. <laughs> so sure. what are your, th- tell me about your beliefs. <laughs> I, I think that's one of the best things about comedians when you get to like, to be in a group with like, it's going to sound whatever, but like real comedians to me is like people that can discuss any topic honestly and can really just like really bat them back and forth what about this what about this and you know without shutting down in any way i love that that's and not that a lot of other people who are not comedians can't do that because a lot of people can who are emotionally wherever but i love when like it just tends to happen more for me and my experience with a group of comedians i think uh, good comedians understand the psychology of being fair or reasonable yep and kind. I mean, you got to be kind. You can't just be a dick. Just no, doesn't work. That's just not how it works. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't, so, um, there's no way that that can work unless it's sarcasm. Right. So we're trained to ask questions. I mean, that's what, that's what comedy is. It's like, why is this? You know, what is the reason for this? And then you go, you know, you, that's where you use your imagination and your observation to, to, bring some closure to it using some humor, but also there's with that closure, there's more questions. Like you said, like, does he believe? And like, yeah. but when you think about it, when we're kids, we're kind of conditioned out of asking questions. So that's why, you know, that's why comedians are such a welcome voice that, you know, they're the ones that are asking the questions. Whereas most people are just like, right, stop, stop asking questions. I don't want to answer that question because I said so, you know, Right. I think outspokenness is uh, therapeutic for comedians because a lot of their life they may have been pushovers. Like in my case, like I like that release of being able to say whatever I never really had the chance to yet as a younger person, you know? So it's like kind of liberating in that sense. Mm-hmm. And people listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they have and, to. Yeah. They have <laughs> so. to. And the packaging has a lot to do with it. I think if we were to, t- if personally, uh, out of this, the, our conversation today, I think how you package something is crucial to making a connection with with an audience or another person in conversation. You know, you can't just 
straight up, you know, and to be like, do you believe in God? Like I had a, I had a Tinder date or it was a, it was a Bumble date. And within the first hour, she was asking if I go to church and I was like, what, why I was having fun. And now you've ruined it like, because yeah. I know everything I say after that is going to be viewed through that lens of mm. he doesn't go to church. You know? <laughs> so it's like, well, that, all right, bye. There's, there's nothing you can do from there. Uh, and if you package something in, in the right way, delicately enough, I think, you know, you can, you can talk about anything. Yeah. Even to the most fervent of, of believers in whatever it is, you know, if you can package it in a way that speaks to them. And I think uh, a great point to make in that, in that sequence of like three beats too is a counterpoint. That's a, that's a great way to make a point in comedy is to like, yeah. take the other side. I would love to see a presidential debate where they're like, all right, Donald Trump argue on behalf of this position that Joe mm. Biden has go. And then the other way around, I think that would be incredible to watch them try to like perform these mental gymnastics and take the other side. I think that's how you learn somebody else do you use counterpoint in any of your or do you in, in any of your jokes or is that something that just kind of naturally happens or like do you make an effort i guess is the question to do that i don't i don't, I don't think i really don't think i do maybe i'm missing something but i don't think i do i'd like to i think it's a great technique you're right i mean it's, it can nullify the strength of your point your original point though too true. where sometimes you're like it, even though, like I said earlier, it's like being fair and adding to the balance, it can throw off your whole joke. So, right, you don't want to throw away. I mean, the goal is to to make that point by like making an opposite point that solidifies your point. Mm. I, I, that that to me is I haven't gotten good at that yet. I'm still like because I want to make my point first and I want to make that funny first. And I think that's like the missing ingredient in a lot of my jokes. I don't know how you feel about that. But I mean, it's a good writing exercise. Totally. At the very least, even if you don't use it in a set. You can't laugh at that. A little more about you. Uh, you were born in Peru, correct? Mm-hmm. How, long, how long did you uh, live there before you moved to the States? I was four when we came here. When did you... Did you uh, go right to Michigan or did you bounce around at all? No, we, we spent a little time in Florida first. We had some family there. Uh, and we lived there for, I don't, you know, I don't even remember. Uh, and then, yeah, then we came straight to Detroit from there. Has like that upbringing, how has that influenced your, your writing? I think it's a, it's always, it's always helped me feel like a bit, not totally, but like a good percentage of an outsider. Like I do feel like having a family that's different from most of my friends, having traditions and culture that's different from most of my friends, you know, things are less important to my family that are um, more important to other traditional American families, you know, holidays, depending on the holiday, sometimes they're celebrations, just different cultural values. And it's like, everyone's like, Oh, it's great. And my family like doesn't care about it. So like, I've always kind of felt like a little shift in that. And always like been like an observer of a different culture slightly, even though I'm like pretty assimilated, I would say that's always kind of helped me in terms of analyzing and thinking about things from just a slightly different perspective. So I definitely think that has had an effect on my humor and how I, 
structure. Like, look at this from this angle, maybe. Did that kind of come through in school? Like, what were you, you know, in school? Did you kind of question authority or did you get in trouble? Oh, yeah. You could see yourself. No, yeah, I was definitely, um, yeah, I was definitely a troublemaker. I guess I never even thought that that might be the reason, but I think that maybe could contribute to why it was like that. I mean, getting put into a system when you've seen outside of that system. I mean, even as as a kid, you know, um, I feel like that. I mean, I would hope that has you know some sort of influence on how you behave in yeah, a totally unnatural educational system. That's a topic for another day. When did you start doing comedy? College, uh, junior year, something like that. Two thousand seven. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you've been getting sorry, up. When, when did 2000. Okay. So, so a little over 10 years. Uh, when did you start taking it seriously? Like, Oh, this is something I can do. Uh, probably about four or five years ago. Yeah. It wasn't until I, I'm after college and moved to LA. I'm way too young. I was like, Oh, I'm just going to go do stand up. But I also had a degree in digital media. So I was like, Oh, I can shoot some stuff and make some videos and just all the entertainment you know, try to do it all at once, not really knowing the landscape at all. But I lived there for a few years. Then I moved to New York for like a little less than a year. Um, and then I came back to Michigan uh, six years ago now. And probably about a year or two into living in Michigan, I started being like, I'm gonna do this like hard. Even though I, I kind of wanted it as a career maybe 10 years ago, like I didn't, it took me so long to realize what doing it seriously even looked like. Like I never, I, re- I remember never really thinking about like how often I should go up. I was just like, Oh, this is something I do and I'm going to be a comedian. But it wasn't until like four or five years ago that I was like, okay, I'm going to do 200 sets a year. I'm going to do four sets a week. And that became seven sets a week. You know, I did that for like a year and I, you know, I did a little over 200 some sets and then I was like, okay. And then the rhythm of that really, or the endurance of that made it feel weird to do anything less. So then it just became really easy to be like, okay, I can probably do seven sets a week, you know, and at least, you know, one set a day, which really shook out to be a couple of sets on two or three days. Um, but yeah, it was about four or five years ago that I started the track of like really going hard and taking it seriously. Um, probably mostly on the, uh, the repetition side of it. I still am kind of lazy business side and not as great as I could be writing totally. But I think what really makes up for a lot of that is my, um, my repetition. Like I just try to go up as often as I can. I'm like, and a lot of the other stuff will shake itself out. Like the bookings, like I just run into more people and right. I, you know, and the writing just happens on a repetition. I get better on stage. And a lot of that, I think, you know, I've got the fundamental there and that has really helped me out a lot. So. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see, you know, you've gotten around, you've been a part of a lot of festivals and, you know, you perform around the country, which is super, super cool. Um, so you have that variance in audience. Do you have any intent to move back to either coast as your career develops? Yeah, I'd love to, I guess. Yeah. yeah. But as my, you know, it's, it's very relationship based. It's like, you oh, know, sure my wife now and her whole family's here. My whole family's here. If we're going to start a family, like I think about that and like needing help from, you know, the in-laws and my, my mom and dad. But I don't know. Yeah. I'd love to go to New York. I mean, I'd love to go to New York. I've 
I was always like New York or LA and I always really kind of liked LA and I've been to both. But since I started going really hard, I was like, New York, you just do 10 sets a night, you know? Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. that's, you know, you're multiplying your experience, you know, it's like four years and two years, two years and one year, you know, it's like, how can you beat that? Yeah. You know, right? I don't see any way. And, and in that sense, I'm like, I almost don't think about it as like, I could, make it or not make it. It's like, I'm going to get good and that something's going to happen. Like it might not be whatever I imagine for myself and stardom or anything like that, but it's like, I'm going to like work myself into that scene. I'm going to work myself into that comedian. Like I'm going to be able to do it. Like, it's not like, it's not like if it's just like how. Yeah. Yeah. Hard hard work. You know, I mean, that's what it's about as cliche as it is to say, you know, if you're not getting up, if you're, if you're too big for open mics, it's like, what are you doing you know i can't wait to go to open mics oh my god i'm dying i've got yeah. some book shows but i'm like i need mics i need really right. I need mics right i mean the book shows you can kind of work the the old material back and get it back to where it was but i mean to me if i'm not writing new material constantly it's it's almost like a piece of me is missing that's a bummer yeah that's the art of it that's the spirit of it you know that's where it starts that's the, like the real fun of it yeah, but what really, what really, uh, other than the fact that you're funny, uh, what what really wanted me to to bring you onto this podcast was what you said about writing, just like perspective. Um, during the during the pandemic, you said you didn't write as much, mm-hmm. and then getting back to it was it was like fresh and invigorating. Like, could you kind of dive into that process a little bit deeper, and then we'll kind of wrap it up from there. Yeah. I mean, I totally stopped. I, cause I tend, my writing does get ignited from going on stage and like listening to like, listening to the sets between, between shows, like driving between shows and like listening to the set and like, you know, you're, you'll edit while you listen. I think that's one of the best writing tools is listening to your set because your brain just can just be that much faster than you. Yeah. Um, hear that Steve? What? <laughs> I didn't hear anything. <laughs> To listen to your yeah. sets, yeah, don't do it. I, I, I'm, I'm being a hypocrite. I never do it. It's like I do it five percent of the time. But any time I do, I tend to get like a little something. I'm like, ah, I should do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just uh, performing is my uh, is the way that I write. And now I have all these ideas and all these, and I even before quarantine i had a backlog of ideas that i almost complained that i i don't have enough stage time for all the material i have yeah like so much of it i'm working on and honing and then i have like little ideas here and there that it's like i need to run them in and it's like i just don't have enough stage time to get through everything i have so that's almost my coward's way of saying i don't need to write because it's like i'm 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 back i'm backed up already i don't need new stuff There's so much processing that's waiting. So much processing, right? Yeah, that's the meat of it for me. For stand in terms of stand up, like the processing stage is like that's where the work's done. That's where you like find the gold. That's where you develop the gold. Yeah, yep. So and but yeah, um, every once in a while, a couple nights ago, I had some stuff and I woke up and wrote something and. Yeah, I'll feel every once in a while I'll get a spark of inspiration. I know that's not how you're supposed to write. You're not supposed to wait for inspiration, but I think it happens regularly enough for me that I can kind of count on it. Right. And I find the more I lean in when I get that feeling, the more I lean into it and write when it comes, the more often it comes. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's the, to me, that's the job of a comedian is being available. Mm -hmm. Like day or night, you gotta be ready to write it down. You gotta have the systems in place. You can't ever be too tired. You know, you like, I've gotten out of bed like in the morning or at night, like you just have to, that's, that's the real job. That little extra. All right. Write this down. Yeah. Whenever it comes, like you have to be on call 24 seven. Yep. It's important. It's uh, yeah. It's like being a doctor. I, I think I know what it feels like to be a doctor yes. now, now that you put it that way. <laughs> it's like I'm being paged by inspiration. Any closing advice for like younger comedians or for Steve and I or for anyone who's listening uh, as far as putting together a bit like yours as far as like delivering tough news or receiving mm. tough news and turning it into a bit? Yeah practice in time. I think it took me five or six years before I felt like I had a real joke, you know, mm-hmm. and I didn't it took me five or six years before I realized that I didn't have a real joke. Cause I mean, I've, you know, I always thought it was funny and did fairly well on stage, but yeah, I guess what I call a bit, a bit, cause it was like, I had one line and I had jokes and just a bunch of them. And then I remember the first time I had something that had like five or six punchlines in there or laugh lines or punchlines in the buttons and tags or whatever. Um, I was like, Oh, and I, now I finally have like a real joke, you know? And then now I feel like I have five or six of those things. And I really feel like I only have like three or four real jokes. And that just, I can't, I couldn't believe how much time that took to just not for it to happen, but just to realize where I wasn't. You know, I feel like that just takes so long to even for your brain to put all the dots together of to see the landscape. That's why I feel like it's so hard to talk to people who aren't comedians about comedy at all. Because it's like you have no, it's like you're looking at this forest. You have no idea what it's like in there. And it took so long to even get the lay of the land Mm -hmm. to see what it would be like. So my advice, uh, quit until you can't quit anymore i don't know i feel like i just tried to quit a lot and i couldn't you know and that's how it stuck for me if it keeps like you you get the calling yeah if you have a learning curve it's hard to want to quit when you just keep getting better i know yeah that's the thing and the better you get the more fun it is right exactly it's impossible to stop it's then you're like (laughs) it took so long to just get space on stage, like have like a sense of like, I feel like the first step was like a not freak out the whole time. <laughs> I feel like at first you're just like, I don't know what happened. Like it's just a free fall for so long. And then, then for you to like get any level of control and you have it in some jokes and then it goes away when you're like trying new stuff, you know, you like, not back to square yeah. one, but like you're way back from like what your confident fleshed out material is. It's such a tricky thing. And it's so hard to give advice, I think, and stand up. Learn how to, oh, I, my comedy class would have two lessons. First one would be learn how to put the microphone cord back into the mic. <laughs> yeah. Practice that. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Nothing worse than when you see someone that happens to everybody, the mic yeah. falls out, you know, when you take it out and they have no idea how to get it back in there. Yeah. 
There's that. three holes and three prongs. But you're up there. You're Figure freaking out. out. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, this is the end of the when it takes. You know, the time dilation. You're like, you're like, I've been doing this for an hour now, and freaking. Out. <laughs> um, and then my second piece of advice would be: if you're thinking about saying, "How much time do I have left?" You should just get off stage. Yeah. Everyone, yeah. everyone in the whole universe will be better for it. You will be better for it. Everyone else who's waiting to go on stage, the crowd, it's better for everybody. If when that thought creeps in, you just, all right, that's it. Good night. Yeah. You got to bow out. You can't just end on a, you can't always end on a laugh either. That's another. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Get bow out. Yeah. Don't, bow don't out. waste their time. Um, dude, I, I, that's funny that you say that because five years ago I did a character bit where that was his whole thing. He's just t- totally unprepared to be on stage. So like, how much time do I have? Yeah. yeah. Well, Back to your point, like, you know, getting, when you try a new bit and you almost feel like you're coming from square one, the more and the more and more like good bits that you have that you've worked out when you start, it's almost like a muscle. Like when it doesn't work the first time, uh, then that's how it is for me. Um, when it doesn't work the first time, I have all these other bits that didn't work the first time too. But now I know what to do because I have all those experiences. Now I know what to cut. Like the other night, um, I, I have a you know whole new 10 minute bit and it worked okay the first couple times I did it. And then the next night it fell flat. It mm-hmm. like, I got a couple laughs, but I knew right away what I had done based off of my, my prior experience, uh, just it's a, it's a muscle, you know, and that's why the work is, is so worth doing. Even when, you know, even when you fall on your face, it's like, no, that's just part of making this joke. Good. Laughing. Pharmacy, July 10th. Pharmacy, Pharmacy yeah. July 10th. I'll be headlining that show, uh, for $100. I want all the comedians to know. That's what I'm getting paid. Yeah. I want the audience to know. That's the level you can expect. <laughs> Never heard a comedian say that before. For one it's so funny. It's hilarious. You can catch me at the funny bone. I'll be making. Yeah. All right. So, Barmacy, July 10th, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. Sure. Yeah. yeah if you show up then, you'll probably be in and around the show. All right. Uh, Diego, where can we find you on social media? Um, Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Diego Comedy. Okay. And that is, yeah. that's pretty easy to remember. Um, so, give him a follow. This is You Can't Laugh at That. I think we found ways to laugh about Santa. Santa isn't real. So if you're eight years old and you're listening to this podcast, uh, you've gone through the realization that Santa isn't real, but now you've found a way that you can laugh at that. If you'd like to weigh in on today's topic, follow us on Twitter at you can't laugh pod or like us on Facebook. at You can't laugh at that and tell us how you did laugh at today's topic or how you didn't. This is all about the conversation, is what I'm saying. All right. Bye.